Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. It's a film spin-off episode to tie in with our uh, look at Porridge. We are looking at the film Porridge from 1979. My name is Alan, with me as always is Gareth. Hello! And joining us as always as well for our film episodes is our local film expert, Sol Harris. Hello! So, Sol... Usually, yeah. like to start. We well, obviously Gareth and I have already talked about the the show itself. So, the oh, yeah. best place to start here is to ask you what's what's your experience of Porridge, the TV series. I believe I've watched all of it many moons ago. I got access to I think quite an outdated like BBC archival system. I I don't think. Are they... you talking about iPlayer? No, I don't <laughs> think they use it anymore. I think they've probably got something new. But basically, Sol did used to work for the BBC. Or oh, yeah, insider. yeah, and if you. If you kind of blag it properly, like I did, you get access to this this internal bit of software, basically this this like website. And you know, I was meant to. I think it was very clear in all the terms and conditions that it was only for like BBC work. It wasn't for entertainment purposes. But as soon as I got access to this thing and set up with an account, I of course went through and dug Watched up porridge. every yeah every episode of anything <laughs> remotely interesting every film i could find on it because it wasn't just bbc shows you know it was everything that went out on the bbc um <laughs> but yeah one of the things i found on there was uh every episode of porridge i believe so i i think i went through the series from from start to finish back then how, how long ago was this sol because it is all on iplayer <laughs> all right <laughs> uh this will be 2013 14 something oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I went through the whole show back then, and I remember it about as well as you can imagine someone who watched all of Porridge about 10 years <laughs> ago would remember mm-hmm. it. But, I, but Porridge is a, it's a revered classic, though, isn't it? It's like a really well-regarded like classic. Yeah. It is in my house. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, we, and I we get regard that. it well. You know, I, I, I totally, totally understand why it holds the place that it does, because it's, I mean, you know, it's it's arguably a bit of its time, I guess, but it, it holds up very well, I think. It's very enjoyable, mm. good, well, well-written, well-performed. That's definitely, yeah, that echoes our sentiments when we actually watched the whole thing and reviewed it recently. Uh, I think, though, just speaking of the film, I do think that what we get in the first sort of 15 minutes of the film is a lot of establishment of... The setting, the world we're in, the mm. characters, which I think is done really well because if you're new to this, it's getting those characters in, it's introducing you to all this stuff. But if you've watched Porridge, it doesn't feel redundant. It doesn't feel like, oh, I've got to go through it? the thing. It just felt like good character stuff. But that is interesting because we've talked about these film spin-off, uh, sorry, sitcom spin-off films before. And we've we've said in the past you know there's there's no establishment you know they are assuming everybody has been watching this on the television and they're going to the cinema to see a new feature length episode so i wonder why they did that i wonder why they decided we need to establish these characters but like i said they don't they don't lay it on too thick it's mm. it's just kind of like let, let's make sure that in those first few minutes when we first see the characters yeah we establish oh Fletcher's a good guy and he's got a he can knows how to get himself out of trouble. He's he's a cheeky word for the screws. Mackay's the authority figure. You know, you're just establishing all that stuff. This feels like an early modern 
British sitcom movie to me in that this very much feels like you would kind of watch the three series of the show and then cap it off with the film and it, you know, follows on from the show rather than, you know, a lot of those earlier Britcom movies were kind of set in their own fiction, uh, their own separate continuity or, or you know, mm. they, they didn't really work as a sequel to the show in the same way. This felt like the modern way of doing it, like, we're going to do a film, here's all your favourite characters. It is slightly like that. It was it was made after the series was finished, but bear in mind the series itself was followed up by a sequel in which they were out of prison mm. that just did one series called Going Straight. So and it was after that as well. So right. in that sense it doesn't quite make sense in the timeline. But you could very easily take this drop it into yeah. the timeline of when they're in prison mm. and it makes perfect sense. I've seen officially it's set a year before the final episode of the show. I don't think they bothered with all of that stuff back then. They just said, here's the film, watch it. <laughs> that, that's yeah. how it yeah. fits. I think, that's, I think someone's inferred that because he says I'm due to be out in a year in the, yeah. in the film yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, who's there because we have Ives, Horrible Ives, yeah. who is basically only in series one. He's in the first episode of series two. And he's replaced by Warren, isn't he, in the in the series? Not like for like, but yeah, in terms of one of the regular characters, yeah. yeah. He's in the film um, because he was a sort of favourite character. I think the only reason he wasn't in the series was because the actor was busy doing other things rather than they didn't want yeah. him. But then we have Grouty, Peter Vaughn is Grouty, who doesn't turn up in the actual series until later on, although he is mentioned yeah, quite he is early mentioned. on. He's only in, I think he's only in two episodes of the series, mm. maybe three, but he makes such a big impact that it's like, okay, well, yeah, it makes sense to have him in the film. Mm. You know, Grouty is kind of integral to the plot, but they don't lean on him. And Ives, I mean, it's just a few lines here and there. He's not, it's not an integral part of the thing. It, you could easily have put another actor in and called him Atkinson. Or whatever. Is this what wouldn't, we wouldn't these days called fan service? I mean, perhaps to an extent, but or, or maybe just like, well, these are the characters that populate the prison. And one of the good things about Porridge, the series, is that they don't particularly go, right, we have our six primary characters and every week we have to check in with them and see what they're up to. We have mm. to make sure we have subplot involving so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Mm. You know, that especially in the early days, that was not the worry. It was it was all around Fletcher, and then everyone else kind of comes and goes, and we have our regulars, and then sometimes David Jason comes in. But the opening scene of the movie, we have two new convicts being brought in. So it's there's Rudge, played by Daniel Peacock, and Oakes, Barry Rutter's character, who later becomes instrumental in this escape. Also in that opening scene, this transport of these prisoners, we've got a new uh, guard, Beale, played by Christopher Godwin. Mm. And I'm, I'm not really sure why we have him. Mm. He obviously, mm. there, you know, there is a, he, he becomes relevant to the plot, but I think that his... His his impact on the plot could easily have been done by Baraclough. I don't know why we need him as an extra character. I get the impression watching it, like, you're right, now that you mention it, I realise that it doesn't really pay off. But I think when I watched it last night, I was thinking, oh, this is the character they've added in, so the audience who's not familiar with the show can be given a little mm. tour of the yeah, prison. Maybe. And Yeah, that I mean, that makes sense, Saul, because, yeah, and that's a common script writing thing to have a new character come into the world so that we can the audience can see it by proxy from a new point of view but rudge is that character yeah daniel we have the new prisoner coming in and he's definitely that character as you can tell by the fact that he's completely uh instrumental to the first 20 minutes which we're basically following him around and learning about him and then he's completely forgotten about for the rest of the it's it's a weird bait and switch so this first the very opening scene we see these two new convicts coming in we've got rudge and oaks and in that scene rudge is very much the the focal point and oaks only has one line in that in the van 
And so, and, and as you say, in the first 20 minutes, we, we are basically, we're seeing the whole prison through Rudge's eyes and Oakes has now forgotten. And it's only then in the second half that Rudge is, like you say, almost forgotten. And it turns out that the plot revolves around Oakes. And then I think we have Beale because we need the same thing, but from a side Rudge can't get to. We need mm. to establish the mm. prison officer's club, uh, the fact that you can't trust the prisoners, your bike, bike bell get nicked and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So I think they just need both sides yeah. of the wall. Uh, and so they've had to do that. Yeah, maybe you could write your way around that and not not have him. But I, I think what you need, though, I think Beale, if you're going to bring in a new character like that, really hammer it home. But then are you going to lose a bit of Mackay? Are you going to lose a bit of Barraclough? Mm. Why not have that new character? Because he's kind of not one thing or the other. He's He definitely doesn't put up with any guff. Mm. Like he's, he's not Barraclough. He's not letting him get away with anything. But then he's also not so stern that everyone's like, ooh, I hope he gets his just desserts at the end. Mm. He gets brought into the football match near the end as like, oh, they're actually playing against him. And then nothing really comes a lot. Like, they're all going to give him a good kick in, but then they yeah. just one of them knocks him over at one point and that's it. And it kind of never comes to much. Well, I mean, this is my, you know, I, I don't know how film theory full on you want to get on this show, really. But like my main issue with this film is the structure. It's just, it's incredibly meandering and full of tangents it doesn't really hold together as well as i remember episodes of the show coming together well we we've seen many times in these films where it'll end up being basically three half hour chunks yeah and this is kind of in that the first half hour is just establishing people establishing characters you've got Mackay losing his teeth in the curry and that kind of bit it's just establishing the world and yeah you really need to do that in 10 to 15 minutes not 35 Mm. then the second chunk is the football match yeah and the third chunk is the escape yeah, slash the third chunk get back is in. the premise of the film and what the whole film should exactly. be about. And it should have taken them exactly. 10 to 20 minutes to get to that third chunk. And then an hour should have been spent on, you know, the yeah. So I'll tell you what's interesting, Sol. When I, I, I have seen this film before, but it must be 20 or 30 years ago. And my memory of it, if you'd asked me last week what it's about, it's about their, their escape, they're trying to break back in, and the film is about their adventures on the outside trying to get back in. Mm. They're actually only out for, in the runtime, about seven or eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I hadn't remembered any of the film leading up to that point. Well, that's interesting, because if you'd, if you'd asked me, before I rewatched it last night, what the film was about, I would have said, oh, it's about some sort of football match between the, <laughs> the prisoners and some <laughs> other guys for like... yeah. That's the concept, isn't it? They accidentally break out of prison. They've got to get back in. It expands your world. It means you've got your primary characters outside of their normal environs, and you can kind of do much more with them. It's it's mm. the equivalent of taking them on holiday to Spain. And it's it's a great great setup for a porridge film. You know, they're not not mm. just that they get out of prison and you finally kind of have this you know whole new world to play with really but mm. then the premise that they have to stage a, a prison break-in to get back in it's yeah. like this is a great concept for a porridge film and that prison the prison the prison break-in is really perfunctory it's three minutes yeah. at the end it's more of a punchline yeah. than a plot line yeah. and and it yeah it feels like a totally wasted opportunity mm. even even like they accidentally escape and the guy is like, well, you know, you're going to have to come with me. I can't let you go back. And he goes, well, come on. You know, I'm not going to talk. All right, then you can go back. Yeah, that, like, yeah. that's it. It's one half mm. a scene. But there's so much you could do with that. Yeah. Being Them being stuck with a psychotic kind of yeah. killer on, on the on the loose or, or whatever he is. Yeah. Know? And that's just it. You know, I, I think if this film were made nowadays, if, if Porridge were a 
contemporary sitcom and they were making the film now, I think this script would have been completely hammered into shape in this way, you know? I think they would have said, right, we need to get straight into the action. They would have been out of the prison within the first half hour. And then, like you say, all of these bits would have been completely expanded. You'd get a load of action scenes. You'd probably have a villain in the form of uh, that guy who's on the run trying to hunt Mm. them down outside of prison as well as the the prison guards. You know, you'd end with him getting his comeuppance. You'd end with the... uh, the kind of kingpin character in the prison getting some sort of comeuppance. Mm. Because he, again, I'm going to guess he's a character in the series. I don't really remember, but he... I don't think we ever see him again after he weighs in on the football match, do we? We see him right at the end where he goes, Fletcher, you've done well, I'll make sure you're taken care of, kind of thing. But that's that's actually quite... I think that works quite well. Mm. That is kind of the character of Grouty. He's untouchable, Mm. and you do right by him, and he'll do right by you. Uh, but don't cross him. Uh, whereas, yeah, I'm su- it is a bit surprising that the guy who escapes, who's an armed bank robber, whatever he is, get- escapes. Just escapes. Like, yeah, there's, no, free. there's no yeah, follow-up There's, no, there's no consequences for him. Uh, we're sort of jumping around here, plot-wise. We've, we've kind of gone through the film straight away. But can we talk about genial Harry Grout? As a character. Yeah. As you say, he does appear in a couple of episodes, but he is this kind of, even though the ones he's not, he's a presence, isn't he? He's the sort of the mm. unofficial governor. I think, he's, I think he's great. I think Peter Vaughn does such a good job. Mm-hmm. He, he's never he's never anything but friendly and smiling, but the the menace is, is, is real. Uh, Ronnie Barker does a good job of showing genuine fear without trying to look afraid. I think, it, I think just think it's really well portrayed. Yeah. And I, it allows to show Fletcher's character. Like, mm. he's afraid of Grouty in a different way to how he's afraid of Mackay. Yeah. Because Grouty will kill him. <laughs> Literally, like, break his bones and kill him. Whereas Mackay is going to shout at him and maybe, like, make him clean out the toilets or whatever. It's mm. like his... Mackay's real authority is not is quite limited. Mm. But Fletcher likes to play all the sides and not get involved, really. Mm. So when he's forced to... And there's a lovely scene which does establish the grouty character where the young Rudge... Yes. kind of mouths off at Grouty not knowing who it is and Fletcher saves him but does so in a way that doesn't ruffle anyone's feathers mm. it's almost like oh we forgot what was happening tells him a joke, and it's a beautiful right. little scene of establishing Fletcher's character and but the, but there was you know I did think there why is why is Fletcher doing that like why is he helping this kid out what's in it for him you know maybe Rudge now owes him a favor yeah, but he's, that's the good thing about Fletcher. It's not quite as simple as, look, I do this for you, you do this for me. Although he kind mm-hmm. of talks that talk a lot. You know, we know he looked after Lenny when yeah. Lenny first came in. And you know, he's th- he's just thinking, look, this is some young kid who's just angry, doesn't know what he's doing. He's getting angry at the wrong people. And he needs, you know, I'm just going to look out for him. In yeah. screenwriting terms, that sheer pet the cat moment, that's what makes you care yeah. about the protagonists of this film. It's like, right, we know this guy's in prison, he's probably a bad guy for some, you know, on some basic levels, so why should we care about him? Oh, look, he's got a heart of gold, he's looking out for that. Yeah, he is, he is yeah. sort of okay. moral good. Still, yeah. I'll take that. I accept that. Yeah. By the way, you know uh, the guy playing Rudge. Do you recognise him? It's called Daniel Peacock. Daniel Peacock. Honestly, uh, Daniel Peacock. I used to when I was a kid. I used to really love the like, the comic strip presents films, mm. and he always popped up. And I was like, "Why is this guy here? Why he's not in the young ones? I, I, I don't like him." And so I, I don't know. I've got. I'm, I've never really liked Daniel Peacock, but I don't think that's fair. And you know, it's a perfectly good job here. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Like, he's one of those faces that does crop up in things in the 80s, in all that mm. kind of, you know, he's in a French and Saunders or he's in a young one, whatever yeah. it is. He's just, like, cropping up in all that. But then I don't really, like, place him with any specific role. I know that his, I know that his dad was Trevor Peacock, who was in The Vicar of Dibley. 
Yeah. And if you see <laughs> no, if no, you no, see no, a picture no, now, um, a, a contemporary picture of Daniel Peacock, he looks just like his dad in The Vicar of Dibley. Oh, they might be able to start doing a few more Christmas specials. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know his he's got a, another Peacock, Harry Peacock? Um, it's his half-brother, yeah. so that would be Trevor Peacock's son. He plays Ray Purchase in Toast of London. Oh, I don't right, know. okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you could place Ray that, bloody yeah. Purchase. I think so you pronounce <laughs> yeah. And Daniel Peacock was in the trailer of the Pink Panther, which I've been watching recently. I've watched all the Pink Panther films. Oh, he makes a very brief appearance in that as a young, a young Peter Sellers. Let's talk about the other cast members, shall we? We've got we've got our regulars. Well, I think what's interesting here is that you know we we've established Mackay as this sort of um, you know ex-military sergeant major type character, and you know he's not there to make friends. Unlike Barraclough, who doesn't he doesn't try to build any relationship with the cons. But what's interesting about the film here is that we we see. Uh, via the medium of the officers club that all the other officers hate him as well it's it's not just the cons that don't like him even his colleagues can't bear to spend any time with him that is interesting because we don't see that in the Mm -hmm. series Uh, and it it does make him a bit more of a figure of fun i think which is yes i don't know if that quite works for Mackay. that he's a bit pathetic yes and when he when he loses his uh he loses his teeth doesn't he and they're trying to find his mm. his teeth which, which fletcher has and so there's just one scene where we go over and we see and it's just like oh come on you're yeah. better than this you're right actually because i my my memory of the show was that he was very competent and it was a worthy adversary yeah, to fletch yeah. And I remember, like he—he's what I remember from Porridge more than more than Fletcher, to be perfectly honest. But but I also mm. remember getting hints of him also being not a total ass. I'm sure a few episodes end with him showing a little bit of humanity here and there as well. Yeah. The the idea is he knows how to play the game. Yeah. He's been there just as long as all these these uh, inmates have, you know, and. He respects Fletcher, particularly, yeah. to some extent. He doesn't like Fletcher getting away with his little tricks and, like, he wants to catch him. But, ultimately, Fletcher's a good inmate who doesn't cause any violence or trouble, keeps his nose clean, mm. and will, when the situation is right, will give information. Like, he won't come and snitch, but he will kind of make sure someone knows what's happening. And, and Yeah. You know, and so I, I kind of, I was surprised, to be honest. I, I kind of, based on what I remembered of the show when I went back into this film... I don't know, I kind of remembered them having a dynamic where he could basically turn up on the outside of the prison walls and be like, hey, we've, uh, we got stolen when the guy broke out, but we've come back, uh, and he'd sort of be like, look, I respect, you know, good on you for <laughs> coming back. I don't know, my, my read on the, the character was sort of so off base, because instead we just get this, oh, they break into the, to the officer's club, drink some of his booze, and then they do a little sitcom end tag where they, uh, he, he kind of says, well, look, I know you were out of the prison. And they were like, oh, were we? And then they eat an apple uh, in sync yeah. and it kind of freeze nice. frames. And that felt a bit odd, but it also felt like, oh, that's how an episode of the show would have ended. They're kind yeah, of paying I like that ending. reverence to that. Yeah. But yeah, it, you could have so much more fun with just, yeah, Mackay and Barraclough are driving around the countryside looking for escaped inmates exactly. and having shenanigans as they go along. Yeah. Maybe they obviously they obviously come together at some point, but they're dressed up as farmers and they manage to put on an accent <laughs> and get away with it. You know, it's all there's so much possibility for things to happen. Also, what's the whole thing? There's like a running subplot. That's a generous term, but like there's a mention of Barraclough going through a a divorce or he's been through a divorce. Well, or that's something like that? that's throughout the show. Basically, oh, is it? he's 
in an unhappy marriage. Right. So, um, yeah, there's uh, him and Fletcher having a conversation. Oh, you're looking a bit down in the mouth, Mr. Barraclough. Anything the matter? Mrs. Barraclough left you, has she? And there's a beautifully timed, unhappily, no Fletcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then there's one more mention later on where he says something like, you know, well, better that than be stuck with her for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's it? better to have loved and lost than to be stuck with her forever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah but that, the problem is he's, he is married. He's not a divorced. He's stuck with her forever. <laughs> but yeah, look, that, I, I would like to see more Barracliffe. I'd like to see more yeah. Mackay. Let's have them as a buddy cop duo going out trying to catch an escaped inmate yeah. whilst the inmates are trying to get back in and, and all that sort of thing. Maybe they have to end up working together to finagle them back in because it's in their all their own interests to, yeah. to do it. Um, there's lots of lots of possibilities. There, yeah. Let's talk about Godber because I think this script, this film, does not play to his strengths. I don't, I don't think we get enough of him. You know, we mm-hmm. see him trying to put a metaphorical arm around Rudge, but I don't want it from Godber. I want him to be the innocent naif. I don't like it that there's a new one there. And I think that kind of takes something of the edge away from his character. I see what you mean. I think. W- by this point in the timeline of Porridge, mm. he, he's been there a while, you yeah. know, he has settled in. and I, Yeah, I think we, we could certainly have had more from Godber, just in general. Mm-hmm. When they're escaped, there's lots of action for them to do together, but it only lasts like six or seven minutes. Yeah. So we're missing it. And in the other stuff, it just feels like he's the placeholder to give someone yeah. Fletch to talk to rather than a really kind of rounded Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, think it, I think Richard Beckinsale is uh, underused in this film. Actually, while we're talking about him, Alan, this was his last role, wasn't it? He, didn't he die just after this was made? Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, his last role was what's it called? Bloomers. I think yeah. he was literally filming when he died, and uh, they had, they put it out with five episodes instead of six because he didn't never finished it. Um, but yeah, this was his kind of last thing that was all sort of done and dusted before he died. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, in the background, we've got quite a few other little faces and things that I saw. Mm. Um, did you did you notice anyone anyone jump out at you? There's quite a few. Well, I noticed Gordon Kay as the bus driver who was in on yeah. the escape plan. Yeah, this is a couple of years before Hello Hello, so he was. Uh, that was spelt okay. spelt his name wrong in the credits. <laughs> ah, that's yeah. He's obviously well known after this, but there's quite a few other characters um, who were people who you would recognise now, but at the time they were just playing footballers in the background. So, uh, go on. Uh, Carl Howman, cheeky Jacko from Brushstrokes. Yeah, cheeky ladies' man. Team. He, he, he makes a couple of uh, lines. Uh, Duncan Preston as a weather. Oh, I did see Duncan Preston. Yes, yes. Paul Barber is one of the football. He's knocking about. Yeah, he don't, okay. I don't think he even says anything. But it was definitely this would have him. been before Only Fools and Horses, wouldn't it? Yeah, Grouty. At one scene, Grouty's tailor is like measuring up for a suit or something. That was that's Robert Lee, who is a Chinese actor who played a Japanese man in Mind Your Language, is what uh, he's most okay. well known for. Okay. But yeah, you will see him in sort of all sorts of things. Derek Deadman is the big as, as Minnie Cooper, who's like the looks the guy who looks like he's spent a lot of time as a boxer. He's got a sort of I smashed up face. Yes, I did, I did recognize him. Where do I know him from, Alan? He's 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 one of those people who's kind of in all sorts of things, but his most regular role was Never the Twain. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. He he popped up in a few of those comic strip films as well. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's in that kind of uh, that crowd. Uh, I think that's it. There's a few others, sort of just like yeah, people you know, and obviously you got your regulars like so Sam Kelly as Bunny Warren. He's in a couple of scenes, but it feels just like that feels a bit more like fan service. Yeah, okay, let's have Bunny Warren in there as a thing. No lukewarm. Oh yeah, Christopher Biggins. Biggins. Yeah, no, this is interesting because there was there is a whole sort of subplot 
well, that's that's a bit grand. There's a recurring joke about some of the inmates wearing makeup, as mm. as Beale refers to it, poovery, in the prison. There are a couple of problematic moments that haven't dated well mm. on that front. Again, like is that is that a big part of the show? I don't remember any of that. But then the, I well, interestingly, it in, the in the show, Sol, there is Christopher Biggins plays a character, Lukewarm, who's who's well, he's camp, you know, and the character is gay. And it's 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 pretty well treated. There's a couple of off colour jokes, but he's 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 part of the gang. He's the character is yeah. not excluded, and it's you know it's pretty good actually. Yeah. What's the line in the film that, that there's something about? Is it like getting bent out of shape or something? And then they're painting the changing rooms with these fellows: Whitaker, Sar, and Folly. I picked them because they have an autistic bent. Well, we're bent. Mm, I know. Carry on. <laughs> just yeah. the, slightly, slightly, uh, slightly less enlightened. Yeah, I mean, but no, I, I agree. Like, it's it's clearly coming from a place of these guys are equal. Well, I not it's like we. I think we said in the show uh, in our look at the series for its time, it's quite progressive. Yeah. It's, it's, doesn't quite land that well now, but certainly it's not the sort of thing that you would have to. Um, like, I think that's the. I think that's the fairest way to judge something, isn't it? You know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we've already kind of looked at half the plot here. Well, the, the 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 main crux of it, once we've established everything, is that someone comes up with the idea of having a celebrity football team come to the prison to play a charity match against the inmates. And now this is actually a setup for um uh, for an escape, but nobody realizes that at the time. And they manage to. It's a nice way they manage to work it up the chain. Grouty wants Fletcher to do it so that he doesn't get responsibility. Fletcher mm-hmm. pushes it onto Beale to make it look like the guards have come up with the idea. And then Mackay steals the idea from Beale because he wants the uh, the glory of it. Yeah. So, again, it just shows how clever Fletcher is. He's managed to disengage himself from this that he knows is going to mm-hmm. be a, a disaster or whatever happens. But even he doesn't know what's really going to happen at this point. He just knows not to get involved. And so, yes, we get the training montage. We have. Um, Mm-hmm. We have the scene where Oakes is forced into the team. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, put it another way, I mean, I was basing it on the fact that he cannot tackle, pass, trap or dribble. He throws in well, mind. He's playing. No, he's not. Yes, I am. Is he? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, I've got your name down here all the time, Oaksy. Look, <laughs> it's just I've spelled it Macmillan. It just he knows how to keep his mouth shut. So yes, we get the football match. So the celebrity team turn up. There's going to be uh, a, a goodie. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's Michael Parkinson might turn up, uh, but unfortunately, no. It's a bunch of. Uh, I did like it. The, the, you know, the, it's a sort of joke that all these celebrities are non-entities and nobody knows who they are. I, I, I thought that was a nice precursor of your, your your celebrity Love Island type things. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, whenever one of these new programs launches, everyone on social media is like, "Who's he? You've never heard of you." All I know about charity football is that I used to like watching a, uh, a selection of clips. It was Boris Johnson doing a charity football match yeah. when I was younger, and I thought it was very funny because he made a tit out of himself. And you know, it was back yeah. before, back when, back when Boris Johnson was still like a cuddly game show host. You could laugh at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was back when it was funny. <laughs> so 
The plot contrivance here is that the, this celebrity football match will be used as cover to effect this escape. The bus driver for the celebrities is Gordon Kay. He's in on it. And then we mm-hmm. manage, they contrive to get Oaks off the pitch. He feigns an injury. And then he, um, he swaps clothes with Gordon Kay, ties him up and, and off he goes. And the, the whole plan is working like clockwork until Godber bangs his head and he ends up, him and, um, Fletcher end up mixed up in it all. Mm. But here's what I was thinking as I was watching this happen. This is reminding me of Escape to Victory. Have you seen the film Escape to Victory? <laughs> yeah. Now, yes. I, I looked it up and Escape to Victory was made two years after this. So oh, do really? you think that the makers of Escape to Victory were Porridge fans? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, well, Michael Caine's in it and he was in Water. Oh, there you go. Um, some years, <laughs> sometime after. So that's good enough for me. Interestingly, though, the film was directed by Dick Clement. Did he, did he direct any of the TV series or was that... A one-off. He didn't. I, I believe it was Sidney Lotterby who directed oh, yeah. the series. There's a character in this film called Lotterby. He did. He had directed before TV and, and bits and pieces. He he directed mm-hmm. The Likely Lads, um, which again was because the director that was lined up dropped out or died. Maybe I can't remember. But there was a, a last-minute thing, and so he just stuck throwing to direct, even though he didn't know what he was doing. But obviously, done a bit more since then. I think direction-wise, this is solid. There's nothing kind of particularly stand out about it, but certainly nothing wrong with it, mm. uh, visually speaking. So, well, on the subject of the visuals, what, what about the um, the sets and the because fi- obviously in the series, you know, there's a lot of exterior shots and prison landing shots are all shot on location, but we have some studio stuff as well. This this seemed to be mm-hmm. all location, didn't it? Yes, they filmed in a real prison, Chelmsford, I think, but it had had a fire and was being renovated, ah. so. They it was empty of prisoners, and so they could they could film uh, in there, or part of it was anyway. Uh, but they were also renovating the place while they were filming and making a lot of noise <laughs> in the background, so it caused problems for that. But yeah, it is a real prison. It looks quite cool, I think. Like even when mm. they just go into the kitchen mm. and stuff, it just looks very stark. And there's and it's constantly overcast and and miserable. It's there is something really grey and kind of prisony about the whole thing. Yeah. And and it's deliberate, you know. That's it's reflective of the mood that is there. Even when you see them going in, it's um, Barraclough is just saying this. This is really is a miserable place, and we're all and there's nothing anywhere near. We're trapped here. <laughs> well, you know, he doesn't say that, but one of the prisoners says, "You're as much prisoners here as we are." I, I really like Barraclough. Are we supposed to like him? Are we supposed to feel sorry for him? Because he is pathetic, but I, I just <laughs> like him. I just warm to him. I think you're meant to like him. You're definitely supposed to think he's pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. You can like a pathetic <laughs> But you want him to do all right, don't you? Yeah, exactly. You want him to have his, his moment. Again, that's something that's sort of lacking here, that I think if this film were made now, they'd kind of know enough about hammering something into the conventions of a film. You, you would give him his moment to stand up for himself. He'd probably have a confrontation. Yeah. He'd probably be the guy who ends up having a confrontation with the escaped criminal and has to, like do violence mm. against him or something really stick up for himself and then we'd be like way masculinity <laughs> <laughs> yeah they never do that though they never really play into that with Barraclough. like he's he has the occasional moment where he kind of accidentally has mm. a bit of success you know there's one episode where um a prisoner holds them all hostage and um mm. fletcher manages mm. to talk him down but then Barraclough manages to get the credit because Fletcher doesn't want to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> or there's one there's one episode where Mackay goes away and a new, even worse screw comes in. And so they 
rebel, 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 and there's a riot and a riot until Barraclough comes in and goes, come on now, lads, everybody settle down. And they all go, oh, right enough, Mr. Barraclough, very good, very good. And they all clean up because they want Barraclough there because he's a soft touch. So they make sure that everyone in power thinks he's a great, you know, uh, guard who's doing a good job. And there's nice moments in that, you know, that's lovely Mm. stuff. And yeah, that's perhaps something we needed here, a little little moment like that. Maybe he's the one who finds them on the outside or whatever. Mm. Yeah. What about one of the main things we always have to deal with with these sitcom films? There's no laugh track. Yeah. There is no live audience for them to oh, actually yeah. play off of in a start, but also no no laughter track. And, you know, sometimes that really, really hits hard. I actually didn't even register that watching it last night, which I think is because I haven't watched the TV show in 10 years. I probably, yeah, didn't think about it. No, I, I disagree, Sol. I I, I, it really clanged for me. There was a, there was a few like I can't I can't remember an example. There was a few times where I thought, oh, that's a great line that that deserves a laugh, and I'm and I missed the laugh, you know. Mm. I think the film feels quite cold in a way that like if if there was a, a mm. laugh track, I mm. think it would feel a lot warmer. That's a good way of putting it. I agree. Very metaphorical terms here. But then it almost feels like it's going for quite a cold feel because it's so clearly blisteringly like cold outside when they're when they get out of the prison and so on. Um but yeah, I don't know now that I think about it, I don't know if that's intentional because it it doesn't really have that same feel of the show and i guess that it's probably not a good thing really because making the prison seem that extra bit bleak doesn't really benefit what they're doing they did this with um only fools and horses obviously these were feature film length episodes that were done on tv rather than out in the cinema but they did a couple without Mm. and it is horrible it's just dead so then, mm. then they went right. We'll we'll need to put a laugh track on it, and it works so much better. But yeah, it's it's just not the culture. Put it in to put it in the cinema. But if you did, would it would it work? Would it be weird? I think it'd be very weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it would. I I I'd, I'd be an interesting thing to experience. Yeah. But bear in mind that most people aren't. Well, not most. A lot of people aren't watching cinematic films in cinemas anymore i know so yeah. it wouldn't feel all that 19, unusual to watch in 1979 they were if you mm. went to see this film on a saturday evening mm-hmm. with your with your lady friend and, a, and a, a bunch of other people fill in the space and you're getting the laughs does it have the same impact the reason we need a laugh track for when you're watching it in tv is because you just sat there no one else to laugh with that's the reasoning there but i always <sighs> when was the last time you went to see a comedy in the cinema and like everyone was laughing along, punctuating all the jokes. I, uh, well, I never go when there's more than four people in the <laughs> cinema anyway, so... I just can't imagine a cinema full of people watching porridge and, like, cracking up at every gag in the same way that an, like, a <laughs> studio audience would watching it being taped. It's just not the same atmosphere, is it? You know? It was different in the 70s, so... Yeah. <laughs> Gareth, what was it like in the 70s? Oh, like? it was a dark time. <laughs> yeah, you, if you're lucky, if you get through the film without a power cut, eh? <laughs> just the stench of rotting bodies. <laughs> well, mind you, it would have been full of smoke, wouldn't it? It would actually. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Joking aside, yes, you would have come out of that cinema stinking of cigarettes. But still, could have got your bus fare home and a fish supper for less than a shilling. So, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I, I've got one comment which is like a very minor detail but doesn't the use of music at the start of the film feel really jarring Mm, yeah there are a couple of tunes and i actually made a note i said right okay this is odd music i'll write down all the songs and 
There was two songs at the beginning, and then I didn't write anything else down after that. But but they're like playing on the radio, and you're kind of listening to the radio the whole way through. So the sound mix yeah. is really weird because they've sort of made the song sound like it's playing over the radio, kind of. Mm. I think nowadays you'd have that, but it would dip in and out of that in the sound mix. You'd kind of you know you'd go to an establishing mm. shot, and it would come back on, you know, going from diegetic to non-diegetic and back and forth. Whereas here, well, that it's is just... what it does, isn't it? That's basically what happens. I think it yeah, sounds so. kind of like it's playing on the radio the whole way through, doesn't it? Yeah, but they go into a different room, and it's like quieter because it's coming mm. through the speakers and the one main room. Maybe. It's it was it was it was the one one thing that jumped out at me as a slight kind of directorial flourish of doing something a little bit yeah it feels like a big oh we've got the money for a film we can we can make this big and cinematic let's put some big like contemporary popular songs on that we wouldn't normally get to play with but it just yeah it felt very jarring to me it, firstly when i you know they're, they're both um it's hit me with your rhythm stick and mm. what's the other one that plays nielsen i can't oh live yeah can't live without you yeah without like two dare I say, classic songs of, of the era, but they, I don't know what it is, but like those, maybe it's because I wasn't alive back then, but like those songs exist in a different part of my headspace to Porridge. Porridge feels like it's set in a yeah. different world that doesn't have hmm. popular pop culture as we know it, like doesn't exist within the world of Porridge, so it's weird to kind of have them. It'd be like watching an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and they like go into Picard's quarters and he's just watching Friends on, on TV. <laughs> it's be weird. But yeah, we, we've, we've talked about this, yeah, with shows that show their age and some that don't, and because Porridge is kind of outside of the real world. Well, it's an institution. It's an institution that isn't mm. interacting with the world. Yeah. They're not wearing any fashions because, you know, yeah. they're just in prison fatigues. And it, it feels like prison life is probably kind of the same, albeit with, you know, some some differences. But, you know, most of us don't really know what prison life is like anyway, so yeah. it's kind of an alien thing. Uh, whereas some things, it's about, you know, like a housewife in the 1970s just feels really out of date now. Yeah, and I, I guess also, mm. like, again, if they were making this film nowadays, and this was a contemporary thing, I don't think you would get you know, a song from this year opening the film, I think you would be just as likely to open the film with Without You or whatever the song is called by Harry Nilsson and Ian Drury. Yeah, I think it's kind of an odd thing almost to timestamp it in that way, but I don't really know. That same exact song, for example, features quite heavily, quite prominently in uh, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa, you know, it's... it's... Uh, there is a there is a song over the credits as well, an original song, I think. Oh yeah, like Ian Lafrenet yeah, was one of yeah, the yeah. writers of it. This was still the era, presumably, of you you go and see the film and then you buy the the tie in single that comes out. Was it? Is it yeah, not that? No, nothing like no. Mm. I don't think so. not no. something like that. Maybe if you had Ronnie Barker singing a song, or something okay. like that. Yeah, it's not Bernard Breslau in the Army Game <laughs> doing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mad of. Passionate Love. I only ask. <laughs> Well, is there anything else we want to talk about with Porridge? Well, I think, you know, it was it was all right. I quite enjoyed the film. It wasn't as good as it had been in my memory, but that tends to happen a lot when we watch these old things. But honestly, if you want to watch some Porridge, go on iPlayer and watch the series. It's so much better than this. I think the film holds up really well, actually. I think it does... We've, we've picked it apart a little bit. I think I've been a bit negative. I enjoyed it, and I think it is well in keeping with the tone of the 
show. It's original material, which is more than you can say yeah. for Rising Damp. Yeah, film, yeah, yeah. And quite a few others. Yeah, Rising Damp came out the following year, that film as well. Like when, when I watched Rising same, Damp. Same production it, company. Oh, really? When I watched that film, it felt like, oh, God, this is a real old school way of doing things. So it's weird to see that, like I say, this felt like, uh, right, we've kind of figured out how to make these Britcom movies now. We're kind of getting the hang of it. So, no, I mean, it's, it's a well regarded film as well. It's, you know, most of the other Britcom movies I'm aware of prior to this uh, are not considered good films nowadays you know they're they're considered these kind Mm. of crap cash-in things maybe some people have a bit of a fondness for the on the buses movie or something because they watched it when they were younger but it it doesn't i feel like this is regarded as a film that did the show justice you know well it's it's worth noting that dick clement and ian lafrenet made films they 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 wrote and produced directed a number of feature films before this Kind of in amongst, yeah, both. Okay. But not like huge name things, but they were of a mind to go, oh, let's make a film, rather than, oh, it's a quick cash-in, yeah, if you yeah. want to use our scripts, fine, send us the check. They were hands-on. Dick Clement directed it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And also, when they went to America, which was initially to do the Porridge remake, they stayed there. They they live there still, I think. Certainly, Ian Lafrenet does, because he married an American, I think. They were uncredited script doctors for many many years in hollywood uh. they were running in major hollywood circles they they did script doctoring on all sorts of major projects mm. for example the rock, the rock yeah bad because, boys because they'd worked with sean connery before wow. so like he was like oh yeah i like them super mario brothers that classic <laughs> but like they, Pearl they because they're good gag they're good gag men they're good with dialogue all that sort bad of stuff bad boys too so i think that makes Clement and Lafrenet slightly different from some of the other sort of yeah. British sitcom writers who are a little bit it's a it's a different world. They did have a mentality of this film idea, yeah. and perhaps that that's expressed here. Perhaps that's why they really made more of an effort. Mm. Interesting, but no, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I think it's um good little film. Really, it, it's it's definitely got problems, like I say mostly structural pacing issues, but it's very enjoyable. They're things that we can look at and go, oh, that could be better. But it's not like, oh my god, they're making this film crap. It all works. The structure is a bit clunky, but it, it, it still flows from one thing to another. I feel like I might have said this on, on here before, on another episode, but you know, I, I made a point at uh, a while ago of watching like every British sitcom movie that I could get my hands on and just really exploring mm. that. And Porridge is by far and away the best one I've found from before the millennium before the kind of modern wave of uh things and yeah porridge is the best of the bunch there in fact even even with the more modern ones mixed in it's better than a lot of them so it is i think it is a good film it's and it's it's still got all those elements ingredients that you like and it's funny it's well written well well as i as i said before i I think it's i think it's the rare instance of you know a a film that kind of does justice to the show it's based on it kind of feels like yeah that's porridge so that yeah okay so that's that's porridge and uh, we we've covered that one pretty well probably my favourite sitcom ever the show really I would it's it would definitely, definitely. Be, wow. it would definitely be in the conversation yeah definitely really like not not e- even including new stuff 
I've never seen any new stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> was it made before 20, um, 20, 2008? Uh, that's my limit. <laughs> uh, no, no, definitely one of my, one of, be, definitely be in the conversation as one of my favorites. So oh. we really enjoyed when we did the show. I enjoyed watching the film again. But thank you very much for joining us there, Sol. Thanks for having me. We'll have you again later. We're looking at something else later in our series that has a film spin-off. Ooh. Gareth, thank you as always. Do you want to give us our socials, Gareth? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Yeah, so yeah, you come and join us on the social medias. For now, we're still on Twitter until uh, Elon Musk <laughs> destroys We've been it. We're banned. We, we, are, we are a parody of a podcast. <laughs> we're on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at BritcomPod. Or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a page if you just search for British Sitcom History Podcast and uh, we'll come up there. 